Coming out of the dark night of the soul with gratitude, joy, and happiness. This is the first time in over 60 years where Jeff says he feels happy and wakes up every day in a great mood. Welcome to Funktastic Chats. I'm your host, Mike Zabrin. Industry leaders join me every week to help you monetize your passion and gives you the tools on how to thrive at what you do. And this is the part two to Jeff Berlin, the dichotomy of the self-taught versus academic musician. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about exactly that. We talked about learning the skills to play better that are not necessarily transferable over to the gig, but improves your mind in music, makes you more creative, liberates you. Why people see music as a language, but they don't want to learn it as one. Are we as musicians sometimes paying teachers to be taught styles? And how is it different from learning musical content from a set curriculum, just like every other creative art form? Where do you draw the line on what is meant to be self-taught? And are you being denied the path to make mistakes because everything is just simply smoothed over to you and given to you on a silver platter through the internet? You will walk away a better musician, (laughs) I sure did on that last episode, or at the very least with a more mindful awareness of how you choose to walk the path learning music. And part two, Jeff says he became spiritually imbued and alert to the mindfulness of life. Coming out of the dark night of the soul with gratitude, joy, and happiness, how Jeff's ego affected his playing and why this is the first time in over 60 years where Jeff says he feels happy and wakes up every day in a great mood. How can coming out of a traumatic experience make you the best player you've ever been? You're going to hear about a quarter of the way through, I think, Jeff for being on the podcast, then we end the interview, and we keep talking, and by the end of it, we realize that we're still recording. This is a genuine, open, real conversation with bass player Jeff Berlin. Enjoy. One thing that I think is more important than the music industry and music itself is mental health. And during COVID, there are so many musicians, especially people in the events and the hospitality industry that have depression from not only their liveliness being put on hold indefinitely, but in addition, isolation and loneliness just fuels it. And I I was wondering if you could talk about your own transformation and growth and if you can offer some guidance to people who big or small are suffering. Yes, if there was ever a flawed and injured human being, I'm it. I'm a perfect example of a reformed, mentally unbalanced and hurting person. I I feel I wrote the book. I went through hell. And here's my story. I think it's a good one. I'll try to make it concise. I didn't know how to behave in the world. I didn't know how to communicate well. And I was angry unremittent anger, could not stop it, could not reel it in. So one day I had what I guess is a kind of a breakdown where when people construct beliefs and thinking in their lives, it's sometimes based on flawed concepts. Racists base their thinking and their life's beliefs on unhealthy principles people with with beliefs about things that aren't sustainable in a healthy mental uh, environment, sometimes in some of us, we collapse. And I did. It was almost instantaneous where I one day went right into a top-level panic mode. 
and started to cry and couldn't pull myself out of it. And I started going lower and I had very bad thoughts. Let me tell you, when you feel like you don't have a grip on your mental life and you're in constant mental anguish, you think things that you really are ashamed that you thought about. Anyway, I found somebody who helped me out and it was a miracle. It was a miracle. This person was not only a therapist, but a spiritually motivated person. She was into crystals. She was into candles. She was into Buddha. She was into the Tao. She was in all these things that I pooed as part of my ill kind of uh, life, that I was a critic of everything. And to make a long story short, for nine to 10 months, I was on the floor of my house crying, sobbing, in total anguish, couldn't sleep, lost weight. I would work, but I, I, when I was finished with work, I would go back. I lost myself completely, and she explained that it was a collapse, a kind of a dying of the, of the self that I propped up that wasn't a support, supportable, sustainable. My beliefs collapsed. And then afterward... I, you, I got a very interesting part of this story, if you're interested. For two, three I days, I kept fe feeling myself going lower, and I actually felt myself descending. It was a descent, a physical feeling. And I called her because she let me take the caller, and I said, I'm going down, I'm going down, I'm going down. She said, oh, it's okay, just hang in, just hang in. She was so nonchalant about it that it was very peculiar, very supportive, but nonchalant. And one day, I was sitting at my desk and I felt myself physically hit bottom. I felt myself like I hit a floor, like a bot. I felt the, the thunk. Like if you drop three inches, I physically felt it. And my whole body went as numb as if it had been, as if it had been shot up with Novocaine. And I sat there in an absolute daze. And then I began to go up and then I began to go up and days. And then I slowly began to uh, emerge from this and emerge from this. And then the next two years from being with her helped to clarify and get into deeper thinking. And I ate a lot of humble pie, a lot of it. And eventually I emerged and came out to this guy still imperfect, still with whatever the things that I have, but my critical self was gone. I criticize base education, but I criticize business. Not people are lovely. Even the people that, that teach in ways that I may not admire, they're good people. They're good people. I gave up my criticism. I didn't give it up. It went away. And the sun began to shine. The days became beautiful. I became happier and happier to where I wake up every day in a great mood. I didn't have this for 62 years, 63 years. I'm 68. So for whatever years remaining, this has been the joy of my life. I found out other people went through it. It's a thing called the dark night of the soul. It's so predictable. They had actually uh, literature about it. I read wow. it. I became. I was going to ask you if that was a term you came up with. Uh, it's cool to know that's an actual term. You know, it the dark it night. is. And some people go into that thing. Mine was terrible, but it was, I was, you won't find a person more grateful for having gone through that ter horrific, terrible experience to come out of it. That's the trick. People have to, will come out of it. It's just, it takes a while. That's all I can tell you. And 
you will never find a person more grateful on earth, happier, grateful. Sometimes I still will get teary-eyed out of gratitude for what had happened to me, taking it as a spiritual gift. I became spiritually imbued. I became alert to the mindfulness of life. I see things positive. I'm not negative. I, I may criticize things, but I don't see that as negative. Everybody's bad. Everything is bad. The system has flaws and there's good ways to come out of it. That's how I operate. So that's my story. You know, and, I was watching an interview um, that you mentioned in a result from coming from a dysfunctional family, your ego compensated for it, but more well known of a bass player you started becoming. How did this affect your career? Well, I, would, the way, I had the a way negative way. attitude. Sorry, go ahead, finish. I interrupted you. Oh, oh I was going to say, because having that experience with you when I was a kid, I was an all-out Jeff Berlin fan. Then I came across things online, whether it be the way you went about talking to musicians on different forums. Yes. And then I found out a little bit about this. I, I had no idea to the extent. I know there's a, you've talked a little bit about it, and I love that you're being so open about it now. And so many musicians, especially during COVID, I'm sure will relate to this story and find so much positivity within it. And so I, I wrote all of these things down. I was like, why would you say this? Why would you say... And I quickly deleted everything. And I was just wondering, how has this transformation and growth impacted your career? And then prior to that, how did your ego affect your career? Oh, it, inf it affected my career negatively. I had a very bad reputation, some of the legacy of which still exists. And fortunately, I don't deny it and I don't try to hide it and I don't try to, you know what I mean? It, it is, I created it. So I'm okay with it because I'm not that man. A lot of the things I did were mean spirited in part. I tried to be nice, but I wasn't nice. So it was a negative effect. It was a negative effect. It may last me the rest of my life. It may, I don't know. And I, I accept it all. That's the thing. I know who I am. I know what I do. And the guy you met whatever, some years ago, I would say was the beginning of a sort of an, an emergence where I could be kinder to people. And so the fortunate, beautiful thing is whatever negative effect that comes from it, came from it, I accept it. I'm totally okay with it because I have been given a gift, an absolute gift of joy and an absolute gift of mindfulness. And, and I learned, <laughs> there's a thing that when we all still have those parts so I'll be in a car and somebody, whatever, drives it, cuts me off. And sure. I might feel that heat come in, but I instantly put myself into the watcher mode. I mentally shift over to the neutral part of me, the part that is not that angsty part. And I distance myself from that part, although it's in me. And I have great tools and the, the angsty part is less and less as the years go by. So quite frankly, I'm okay with everything. And if people dislike me, I can only say I understand and apologize for it. Come get to know me and share thoughts. And I'm happy to chat because I won't deny my past. I did those things and people were right to not be happy with me. Has this affected the way that you play over the years? Is this trans <laughs> That's a great question. I play better now than I ever have because... Really? I, yeah, because... Two things. One, I was into technique and chops because it was a statement of love me, love me. Look how fast I play. 
You got to love me. Look at my intensity as a baseball. You got to love me. I've slowed down. My playing is far more thoughtful, melodic. The, the bass tone I have in studios now is superior than anything I've ever had. I, funny thing is, I think a bass tone is a little bit of a lack of attention in the bass industry in a large way. I hear these genius bass players who might want to pay more attention to the tone they produce. I've done that. So I, so, so many organic changes have been coming. My writing has changed. My musical outlook has changed. I'm grateful as all get out for the musical changes. And I slowed down. I had a hand surgery, so I can't play quite as fast as I used to anyway. And I have a tact, which I always had that when people played, fret, I played fretless for a couple of years because Jocko did it and I wanted to play that. Then I quit because I realized that it was going to become a thing and it, and I decided not to do it. So my philosophy changed from there, which is if everyone played fretless, I won't. If people played 10-inch speakers, which became popular, I won't. If people played active basses, I won't. If people played five and six string basses, I won't. If people play with tweeters, I won't. And every sort of popular concept that became uh, known, when it became a thing, I went the other way on purpose and put myself into an area where I didn't know what to do so I could create something to do. And the result is today, I become, I would say, my most original sounding bass player that I've become in my career because I started often with little to create something out of nothing. And that was the beauty (laughs) of turning from popular consensus in bass playing. I admire the people that I love bass players. I love these great bass players, these genius slappers, bass players of all kinds. I just choose not to go there, and I'm grateful that I didn't as an artist. You know what I mean? Do you, do you think the music got better because in your mind you had like this love me attitude and you were focused on your ego versus now focused more on the music itself and less about your own playing? Do you think that has something to do with Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ego. It, it might even be anti-ego because usually people that are – So people that exhibit ego are often people that have no confidence. And I was that guy. So usually to compensate out of fear and no confidence, we go, hey, I'm the baddest mother. And I did that. So, But now what tends to have happened in every area that I live in at this juncture, what has happened is my bass playing became what I guess it organically should become at this particular time. It is where I should be, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, Studies have linked the use of social media to depression, anxiety, poor sleep quality, lower self-esteem, often in teens and adolescents, but can apply to everybody. I wasn't even playing bass yet when MySpace was out. I'm 29, but from talk bass to MySpace, to Facebook, to Instagram, can social media bring on depression amongst musicians? Has it happened to you? And do you have any advice? It's never happened to me. But I have no advice because it's a psychological stigma and I don't understand it. So I don't know enough, uh, even anything to comment about it. I will say that I go on the Internet in order to be among people that mostly may uh, not have heard the things I say. Some don't like me for it. And that's where I choose to be in order to put out a message that, for the most part, people reject. But here's an interesting thing. Every single time I've ever posted for the last whatever years, without a shadow of a doubt, a couple of guys got it. 
And so what I've done is I take credit and I'm pleased to admit, say that I'm responsible for a continuous, steady, slow, small community change in regards to one area only how they're taught. Nothing else is my business. I have no right to say or comment about anything. So in that regard, the internet has been, people go after me, but I tend not to be insulted by things. Things don't offend me anymore. It's a peculiar... It's definitely a skill to be able to tune out negativity and focus on, on what you do. Well, I got there by that by the neutral watcher part of me, that part of the spiritual teaching that Beth gave me. Beth Meeker, she was my teacher, my therapist. And so when people go, you always and you never and you're always and you're, you think you're, <laughs> why do I think I'm the only one who's right? I never said I'm the only one who's <laughs> right. Or what you think everybody's what I never said everybody. Why are you insulting a base teachers? I'm not trying to insult base teachers. I'm trying to advise people to watch who they entrust their musical future to. There's a... I think Steve Bailey may have mentioned that uh, teachers giggle at me. He said, that's why you have no colleagues. He mentioned that a couple of times in sort of correspondence that, that base teachers giggle and ignore me. And the ironic thing is I have quite a number of colleagues, but the colleagues that I have fundamentally teach musical content first and foremost. And I became ironic to me to think about teachers that giggle at my posts or giggle at my comments when in when intrinsically all I'm saying is learn music, so I found it noticeable. Why would any teacher find it humorous when another teacher says you should only learn musical content and practice it? And this sort of separated me from the general music community. I found it very difficult to be amongst bass teachers anywhere, where the gist of the thing is that we weren't united in a one concept of raising up students no matter their style and no matter what their approach is. Incidentally, goals is a slightly, in my opinion, a fake concept too. Everybody has the same goals. And I can tell you what they are if you're interested. I am, yeah. Everybody's has the same goals. They either want to play their own music or they want to play someone else's. It's a nutshell concept or a combination of the two. It literally is a nutshell concept. And in the playing of your own music, one has to know where, what their notes are and where they are on the bass neck. In the playing of other people's music, one has to know what the notes are and playing them on the bass neck. You have to know where they are on the bass neck. The unity of the goals that everybody shares the only exceptions might be one wants a professional career, one doesn't, those particular areas. But you don't teach people according to their goals. Everybody has the same goals. They want to play better. And in that area, every base teacher, in my opinion, on earth, ought to disassociate themselves from all styles, everything else, and only go with the teaching of a unified Academic curriculum, as is taught in trumpet and saxophones and trombones and violins and violas and cellos, there's a very small curriculum for beginners and, and, and continuing growing musicians. Bass players have, you can learn from these videos, from this slap book, from this two-handed tapping, from heavy metal, from groove, from, there's so many things that deviate from the fact that really nobody has goal, everyone, excuse me, has goals. 
that are identical. We all want to play better. It's too speaking easy. Of, it's a simple concept, I thought. Uh, speaking of groove, you disagree when people say groove is more important than the notes. Why do you think that? Well, because music is based in harmony. It's like if groove is uh, more important than the notes, then why play notes at all? Just play a thunk, play play a, a scratch. Groove is a result. Groove is last, and I think I can prove it here. Again, people play "Sunshine of Your Love." Bum 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 mm-hmm. bum bum bum. So if I ask everyone to play it in F sharp, bum 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 bum. bum. The first thing that'll happen is most people, not everyone, but most people will have a great deal of difficulty playing a line that they can play in one position and play it in another key. This is a clear indication that notes are first. You have to know the notes before you can play it. Once you've learned the notes, I made a mistake. Here it is. Automatically, and as you proceed on in this experiment, you're going to play it in time and you're going to play it in groove. Groove is always, and this is an interesting truth, always last. And groove is an important part of performance. It doesn't belong in academic teaching because academic teaching isn't meant to be a groove-oriented experience. I can prove all of these things and hope to, and once COVID is dealt with, we get the the vaccine, I'm going to take this on the road and do like a, a base class for people. And maybe share some of these thoughts, because I know I'm alone in these thinking. But again, I have a background that sort of set me up for it. So going to groove, when you teach groove, you're teaching the obvious. Everybody grooves. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Some people that groove better than others only groove better than others because they know how to play better and they know the music better. That's sure. it. When I no but, um, when I think of groove, I think about, well, of course, the time. But when bass players are soloing, they are thinking about the time. And one of my favorite solos that I've transcribed from you as a kid <laughs> is Groovin' High, which I hope you're a fan of at least like slowdowners or something for transcribing. I've never would have learned it like 50% and I <laughs> still too fast. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but if you play, if played that with bad time and you didn't have that articulation and swing, I, I wouldn't have cared as much about the notes you were playing because it wouldn't have sound, sounded good to my ears. Does that articulation and swing that you have that forms the groove just come from learning the notes or is that a lesson in itself? It's a lesson in part of performance and learning. It, it, it comes, it just comes. Here's it. Like, do you speak Spanish? No, I don't. Okay. You want to do a little experiment for your listeners? Let's do it. Okay. Yes. Here's a Spanish sentence. I want you to say it. Okay. Listen up to my sentence. Después el, el, where are we? We're on a podcast, right? Después el podcast, quiero comer algo. Can después you, can you say el pod, yeah, después el podcast, cuela okay. el pelagos. Okay, we'll try it again. And this is the experiment that I'm showing. You can't speak in groove, in Spanish groove, until you learn the words. Después el podcast, yo quiero comer algo. Después el podcast, yo quiero, yo quiero, yo quiero, comer, comer, algo, algo. Now, this last time, because I don't want to bore your listeners, después el podcast, yo quiero comer algo. Después el podcast, yo, 
Yo. Quiero. Carol. El Padico. The listener's going to be like, this guy is so That's stupid. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> then do this one. Yo quiero comer algo. Yo quiero comer algo. Now, you did it. Now, listen up. I gave you a lesson that was too hard. It was too long. But you noticed how you couldn't say it in time until you learned it? Yes. That's the base example right there. You've just experienced. And now, to make it even harder, pick it up and do it with a, with a foreign device, a bass. That's what bass teachers, I feel, are ignoring. That's what bass players aren't capable of. They haven't learned that you have to know what to play before you can play it. And that entitles everybody to be taught exactly the same way, give or take in terms of ability or whatever. Of course, you have to adjust. But that is the core flaw in bass education. And you just experienced it in a very simple, phonetically uh, spoken Spanish language. That was a really cool example because that was a point that I had personally disagreed with until now. <laughs> so I appreciate that. There's just so much insight and explanation for the things that you offer. And I think that it's cool having you here, man. I, I really appreciate it. Can you tell the listeners about your book that's coming out? It's out. I have two books. Oh, it's out. It's, it's a beginner book. And due to my complaint about a lack of, of unity in the in, in base education, the unity in part in terms of curriculum, I wrote one. And it's really for beginner bass players where it begins as simple as it can get and it gets reasonably interesting by the 24th lesson. And in my opinion, I think it's the best beginner compendium that one can find. And it's an addition to one's day. You're supposed to still be self-taught. You're supposed to still do your thing. But I wrote this book. It's called It's Beginner uh, Bass Book. I think it should be I think it should be taught in all colleges and music schools worldwide because it applies to everybody. And then I wrote a walking baseline book which is a whole series based in all the sharps and all the flats and in all the key types. It's an academic book for walking bass. It, it's not for beginners, but it's a great academic way to to regard written notes and play them all over the bass. That's the way we get better. We improve by learning the words. And in, in, in the Spanish, yo quiero comer algo, the only thing that we use as an instrument is our voice. Imagine yo quiero comer algo and have to do it on a device where you have to figure out what fret to play the notes on. It's not an easy job. So the, it's good to start simply and go steadily to do it. And that's what I did with these books. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to stay in touch with you. And oh, yeah. I can't wait to continue to follow you and see all of the new amazing things that you're up to after COVID and and take a lesson with you. And because I'll get I, better. I owe you a lesson. I'll give you a freebie. I've been no, giving lessons away to people during COVID. I've been giving them a while because not everybody can afford it. So I've been doing that. I actually gave some books away, gave some stuff. People need a little help. So I'll do it no, with you. Thanks. I'll do it with thanks, you. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And Jeff, what's the link to your music group site? JeffBerlinMusicGroup.com. Awesome. JeffBerlinMusicGroup.com. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Master bass player, Jeff Berlin. Thank you, man. Oh, it was a pleasure, Mike. I hope I wasn't too overbearing because even as a reformed guy, I do get a little nervous about that sometimes. No, you cleared up so much stuff that I have not heard you speak about 
in this length before. So I really appreciate it. Do you, do you feel that same way? I, mean, I do. I, the three guys that managed to stick it out till the end, I admire you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Stan, thanks for hanging in, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Jeff, what are you up to uh, the next week or so, man? Well, I just laid down horns. On a Jack Bruce tune, I've been inching along with this Jack Bruce project. So I just wrote out the full chart for the horns. The horns did them, but had to fix a couple of things. They're doing that today. I'm putting my the, the beginner book I mentioned, we're putting it in book form. You can get it online now and, and download it, but we're putting it into book form. And I'm actually writing right now the next record, even though I haven't released the Jack Bruce one yet, as well as I'm writing an improv book for people because a lot of people don't know how to improvise and would like to know. So I wrote a book that'll include not obviously the whole compendium on the subject, but enough for bass players to start practicing thing and expanding their ability to improvise. That's very cool. I follow your videos because I feel like what I learned a lot in school was very lick oriented. And I like that you forced me to think I'm not locked into when I see this chord, this is what I play. Or when I see this chord, this is what I play. And I don't think it's a matter of creativity. I think it's just a matter of just not being so locked into certain things as a bass player. Do you ever get students like that? Well, they everyone starts out that way. But I always introduce them to a concept that I have to, I'll take credit for inventing it. It's a thing I said that learning is different than playing. It's certainly obvious. It certainly doesn't sound like someone might invent that statement. But bass players always, as a matter of course, just about, always go to creativity before functionality. And that's the down, that's the difficult downside of bass education. I don't want you to be creative. It's I, I want you to be Simon says. Después el, después el podcast, yo quiero comer algo. And that, if we do this like week in and week out, you're going to have a huge vocabulary. That's what, so I don't run into this with day students that stay in it long. They start out and go, well, when I'm on a gig, forget the gigs. Well, when I'm jamming, forget the jams. Do you know how to play a minor major seven? Never heard of it. That's where we start. And it's I'm chipping away like a sculptor. It's a big block of, of marble, but I keep knocking little pieces off all the time. But I don't have many colleagues or almost anybody that's joining me in it. So it's kind of a self, self-run self industry. I'm kind of alone in it. But I wanted to ask you one more thing, too. I, do, I watched another interview and you were talking about how, and it, I think it was like 2016, 2017, something like that, where you had you had issued public apologies to people that you felt that it was needed to. And you said that people haven't really reached out to you back and was like, and I I don't want to say forgave you, but do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm wondering if COVID has helped people know that they understand what you were going through and have helped you and nurtured their relationships with you more since COVID started. Well, no, and I don't recall saying that thing, but I'm sure I said things. There's things I've said I don't recall. I think uh, we don't have to put this in, but I think it was about Steve Bailey and Victor Wooten in particular or something like that. But I was just wondering if people that you've reached out to and apologized to, like what their response was back to you. and if Well, they were- I apologize. They were very uh, forthcoming about it. And all right, I'll, I'll do this uh, uh, without too much thing. I tried... Yeah. 
And I mean, I tried with all of my heart. I truly tried to not get involved in how other people teach and just do my thing. I apologized. It was a part of my own purposeful need to grow, to eat humble pie and to grow. The difficulty of the thing became this. And it actually started when I was in, what's that place? It was in in Asia, uh, Singapore. It was in Singapore. I was sitting in a hotel and a few guys came in from a base magazine or a base group. And they quoted a, 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 a Victor lesson, which I don't recall now, that academically, in my opinion, was insupportable. And I got the vibe that the things that people teach are reaching everywhere and are affecting people, bass players, from focusing in on what will help them to play better instead of what sounds like it will help them to play better. This is where things get touchy because I don't mean it personally. I like these gentlemen, but my I'll go general as I can go here. This is as general a comment as I can go, but it must be said, I couldn't find it in myself to stand alongside of educators making the money that was available for me to make had I done so while watching the teaching of students in ways that I was certain was going to compromise their musical ability or their musical careers. And now here is where it's personal belief. I'm not accusing anybody, but I'm telling people that I gave up tens of thousands of dollars out of a moral decision to not stand along with the teachers that I feel are not doing a service for students. And it's a personal thing. And that's why these guys who reached out to me, they were very forthcoming. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And even here in a mindful... They wanted, they wanted like specific... What, what did they want from you? They wanted. They to didn't just... want anything. They just wanted me to leave them alone. <laughs> they basically oh, said, why are you criticizing us? Why are you criticizing teachers? Why are you doing this? And I looked at it as, look, there are art critics. You notice that? Art critics. There are theater. There's culinary food critics. There's literary cl- critics. There's critics of the sports teams. There's critics in politics. Criticism is a fundamental part of communication regarding the functionality of certain things, the arts or or systems, and it would be silly to deny it. Bass players seem to be exceptionally uncomfortable with criticism of systems that they either engage in as teachers or businesses or schools or students that are investing money in it. Nobody like, and I understand this, nobody likes to hear that what they are doing or what they entrust their future or they entrust their development to is having a guy like me, a former angry dude, saying, it ain't going to work for you. And again, a 10-year violinist and, and, a, and a former 30-year on-and-off student at Charlie Pinakis, it comes down to a piece of music given 
that progressively goes to the next piece of music to the next to the next. The system exists. So while bass educators reformed, I use that word a little sarcastically, they repaired a system that wasn't broke in the first place. It wasn't broke. The nature is you fire 80% of the teachers and you get those guys replaced with guys that teach only music based on a more or less common curriculum. Or else, if you don't, you're studying with one guy who teaches one style. Maybe he knows what he's doing. But then you go to the next guy and he teaches a whole other style. What's the core basis of your development if everybody's different and nothing is the same? That's why I extricated myself. And I apologize when I was rude. And I apologize if these things seem harsh. But I'm engaging in a criticism of a system and not a person. I don't want to hurt people. But the system is flawed. I don't even care if people agree or not, because every time I do this, a couple of people, the lights go off. So uh, that's why I think it's important to know that you're not getting paid to post your thoughts on Facebook. You generally want to help. You want to help the community and you don't mean to offend anybody. And I think no matter what, giving controversial opinions to people are going to <laughs> anger some people. But I, I was wondering what you meant about had to give up $10,000. Because I would have earned a lot of money had I joined on with the schools and the people if I, oh, I see. had seen what they do as meritorious. I gave up a lot of money and I did it based on a kind of an ethical choice for me. It's my ethics, my morals. It's I'm not speaking for anybody else here. I just couldn't do it. I literally could not take that money while sitting back and and being a part of a a system that I felt needs an upgrade and and a fix. And of course, no one agrees with me. Business is good. So I'm not going to do much more than just share that here. I I don't really want to get into it. These aren't bad guys. It's a criticism of like, I saw a show last night. Like I said, it's a theater criticism. It's a, what's that book? Uh, Consumer Reports? Uh huh. They criticize goods talking about. <laughs> there's a whole book on it. So criticism is, a, is an American lifestyle. I'm not saying so-and-so is a such-and-such. I'm saying the system is flawed and here's my reasons for it. And if people don't agree, then of course they got to go and pay that money for those slap and, and heavy metal lessons. And when you say that a whole base generation of teachers is flawed, I think that people are well-intended. It's just that they're trying to monetize on these different revenue streams that pro- that weren't around when you were younger. So I think that it's it's well-intended, but I think the fact that anybody could go and post these videos and gain their following of bass players is a tough pill to swallow. And Yeah, and I, I'm sorry that I wasn't capable enough to explain my views in another way, but I tried as best as I could to stick to the business and not to the personalities. And that's why I go online. There, as far as I can tell, a proper music training in bass education has no champion, none. So I'm willing to weather the the online comments and basically fluff them off. I mean, I, I can tell when people are just miffed and try to relate a thought. And at the end of it, if I can't, I say, look, make your own choice. It's your future. It's your music. Do what you can. I'm here to help. And I've engaged a, a lot of, I've done a lot of good out of it. I've made a lot of teachers and schools really mad at me for it, but I'm messing with their bottom line. I don't blame them, but I wish they would change formula and go into the way that I think. You know what would happen if they did? Lose business, but the people that stayed would get a far better base education. That's my opinion. 
that if you change and got rid of the slap lessons and the tapping lessons and the and to any teacher that teaches uh, tab and any school that might teach uh, varieties of, of skills, if you got rid of them all, a whole lot of bass players would stay home. But those that didn't would get the best damn bass education they could have ever imagined. And why end this podcast episode with one of my own songs in the background when we can end it with Jeff Berlin's Joe Frazier Round 3? You know what I mean? <laughs> A newly remastered song from his critically acclaimed 1987 album, Pump It, which is composed and performed by Steve Vai, David Sanchez, Keith Carlock, Tom Hemby. Uh, we actually played this song in its entirety at the end of part one of our episode here. But even better, you could go to jeffberlinmusicgroup.com and buy the tune. And that concludes the two-part series of Jeff Berlin, The Dichotomy of the Self-Taught versus Academic Musician. I want to thank all of you for sticking with us for this two-part series, and thank you to Jeff Berlin for your wisdom, your insight, and your openness and transparency. Go to jeffberlinmusicgroup.com. He just came out with a hard copy of his book, Jeff Berlin Bass Mastery, which is a complete reading course for beginners, and it's available for purchase on his website. Again, you get the hard copy now. And stick around for next week because we're talking to Evie from Ask Evie, a business efficiency coach, helping digital entrepreneurs automate their businesses so that they can dominate their industry. She's been featured on Forbes, Huffington Post, uh, Thrive Global, BuzzFeed, and she helps accomplish a balance between business and personal life and helps you streamline your business to build residual income and find the passive income strategy that fits you so you can enjoy all of the good things in life. Take care of yourself. Take care of one another. And remember, you are are extraordinary. We'll see you next time.